Hi, everyone. You are listening to Radio Cherry Bomb, and I'm your host, Carrie Diamond. I'm the founder and editor of Cherry Bomb Magazine, and each week I talk to the most interesting women and culinary creatives in and around the world of food. Today's guest is Amanda Turner, chef de cuisine of Olame Restaurant in Austin, Texas. Amanda is an award-winning chef and such an interesting human. She started at Olive Garden, front of house, went to Le Cordon Bleu Culinary School in Austin, out of spite. She will tell us that story. She worked in Japan, loves gaming, Dungeons and Dragons, and making awesome food. Not only did I have the pleasure of interviewing Amanda, but I got to have dinner at Olame. The other week, we kicked off our Sit With Us series with Open Table at Olame. It was a beautiful convivial evening, and I met so many wonderful people. Thank you to the Olame team and to our friends at Open Table. If you'd like to dine at Olame, you can snag a res through Open Table. After our dinner, we had a few days to run around Austin, and we stopped by Thai Fresh, Franklin Barbecue, a Pisserie Boulangerie Bistro and Bar, Birdie's, and the Gray Market at the Thompson. So much great food, so many great people. I can't wait to return to Austin. Also last week, we were in San Francisco and hosted the final dinner in our Sit With Us series with Open Table. It was held at Gail Peary's Foreign Cinema. Thank you to everyone who joined us. Gail will be on a future episode of Radio Cherry Bomb, so be on the lookout for that. She is a true original. Stay tuned for my chat with Amanda. The latest issue of Cherry Bomb's print magazine is now available. Yes, we have a print magazine. Whether you are a print nerd who loves magazines as much as I do, or you're new to the world of magazines, you should check it out. If you'd like to get the brand new issue, there are two ways. You can purchase a Cherry Bomb subscription and have it delivered direct to your door four times a year, or you can pick up a copy from your favorite magazine shop, bookstore, or gourmet shop. Places like Archistratus Books and Food in Brooklyn, Avril 50 in Philadelphia, and Island Books on Mercer Island in Washington State. Cherry Bomb magazine is thick and gorgeous and printed on lush paper. It's filled with recipes, features, and profiles you don't want to miss. Visit cherrybomb.com to subscribe or find a stockist near you. Now, let's check in with today's guest. Amanda, welcome to Radio Cherry Bomb. Thank you. Let's jump right into it. You were supposed to go to Savannah College of Art and Design. That's and you true. wound up working at Olive Garden instead. <laughs> you have to explain... How, How that all that happened? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was right before the major recession was happening. So I think I just understood that making pottery or trying to get it into 3D design was going to be a long, arduous road that was not going to pay off. <laughs> I really wanted to serve. I, at the time, actually was working in logistics and it was incredibly boring. Do not recommend for someone like me sitting at a computer and like doing data entry, very boring. And I had some friends in the service industry and I wanted to do that. So I started working at a very small cantina called Posados. (laughs) And I worked there for about a year, but they wouldn't make me a server. Was this in Savannah? No, this is actually in Tyler, Texas, Okay, which is basically the middle of nowhere. East Texas, so east of like the Dallas area. So they wouldn't let you be a server, so what were you doing? I was a host. I was a host and I did to-goes. They wouldn't let me be a server because they said I looked too young. So I ended up applying at Olive Garden and told them the whole thing. I was like, I really want to serve, but they won't let me. And the man that hired me was like, we'll give you a shot. And that's kind of how it happened. Go back to why service was of such appeal to you. I really loved food and 
to me, places like Olive Garden or Posadas were great restaurants. <laughs> I was from the suburbs. I didn't know any better. I grew up eating like Whataburger, obviously, because Texas and fast food and things like that. So restaurants just seemed very appealing. Once I started hosting and like being in a restaurant, I found that work to be more suitable to my life. I just tend to get bored easily with mundane things. So moving around, talking to people was really fun. What drew you to the kitchen? That came next. I think I always wanted to be in the kitchen. I was really obsessed with food TV from a very young age. Tell us who. Yeah, I grew up watching um, Jacques Pepin and Julia Child when I was very, very young with my aunt. And she really turned me on, I think, to cuisine television. <laughs> but even like as I got older and like Food Network became a thing, I was very much obsessively watching it. And that just carried on for a long time. For me, I think it was always an interest, and I tooled around in the kitchen as a kid, and I would host fake cooking shows with my little brother, where we like just made ramen and stuff. But I think it was just something that I really liked the idea of, but for some reason didn't seem like a career option at the time. But entering into the restaurant industry, even in the service side, I think made me be like, what's happening back there? You know? Yeah, were you always peeking... Yeah. Through the kitchen door. Yeah. My first job was at Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> I remember it well. Yes. But your first kitchen job. No. Oh, your first job job. Job Before job. Before Posada even. Yeah. Okay. I was 14 and I was working at Chuck E. Cheese as a party host, which is a server. Yeah. So I was doing that and I used to just hang out with the guy making pizzas and be like, how does this work? What are you putting on there? And I just was very intrigued by the whole thing. So yeah, it's funny. But for some reason, it just didn't seem like a career option. But the more I got into the service world, the more I was like, I want to do that. Now, was it at Olive Garden you asked to work back of house? Yes. Actually, I was moving into management training. And there's two paths. You either go the service side or the kitchen side. And if you do the kitchen side, they send you to Italy, which is crazy. I don't know if they still do, but they send you to Italy and you learn all this stuff. And you get to wear a chef coat. And I was like, I want to do that. And they were like, you can't. <laughs> and why did they tell you specifically that you couldn't? Because I was a woman and I didn't speak Spanish. Yes. So out of spite, tell us what you do. Out of spite, I went home and furiously got on the internet looking for culinary schools. I found this list and at the time, the Le Cordon Bleu here in Austin was ranked number two on this list, which I honestly, I just can't believe is real. <laughs> in hindsight, it's very funny, but I had just come from Austin. I'm a big video game player, and I was here for a tournament for the first time. And I had just come from here, and I was like, what? I can move to Austin and do this thing? I ended up saving up my money and I moved about eight months later. So you go to culinary school. Uh, you go to Le Cordon Bleu, which that could be a whole separate episode. <laughs> Things did not turn out so well for the Le Cordon Bleu schools in America. They did not. But I'm guessing you learned enough to get you restaurant jobs. I learned enough. Honestly, it's kind of funny also. I started at school in September and in December... Uchi, which was like the restaurant here at the time, still 
a big deal, came and did a demo, and they were looking for stages. And prior to my moving to Austin, that was like my dream restaurant. So it was funny because I don't think otherwise I would have been as aggressive about it. But whenever they came and I went to the demo, I was like, well, here's your chance. So I started staging at Uchi two months in to being in culinary school. And I think that kind of got the ball rolling a little bit faster for me. Mm-hmm. I was opening Uchiko when I was still in culinary school. I do think you are the first chef in the history of Radio Cherry Bomb to have gone to culinary school out of spite. I appreciate that. But I'm very happy that it's <laughs> turned out well for you. How was your culinary school experience overall? To be completely honest, very mediocre. I definitely learned things, got my foot in the door for sure as far as Uchi and the rest of my career, I think, based off that cornerstone. But yeah, I had some moments in culinary school where I was just like, what am I paying for? Had better knife skills than a lot of my teachers. And one time I showed up at school and was sharpening my knife on a a whetstone. And my teachers were like, what is that? And I ended up giving them a demo on how to sharpen on a whetstone. I'm 22 with a Japanese knife. And they were like, this is amazing. When did Amanda Turner cuisine start to evolve in Mm. your head? Because you do have a very specific approach. I think, honestly, again, big send up to Uchi because it's a very unique setting. Whenever you work there, anyone is able to put food on the menu, even service team members. As long as it passes an approval process, you can create dishes that go on the special menu. And I've never heard of that. Yeah. At the time, it was weekly, and it ended up becoming every other week. We would put up dishes for tasting and very much encouraged to do so. And I was incredibly prolific during that time period, particularly about three years into cooking. I was putting up at least a dish every tasting, if not more than that. Sometimes I had more dishes on the menu than sous chefs. But I just had a lot of fun with it. And I think that I always had concepts for dishes and creating was really easy for me. Tell us a little bit more about that restaurant. I'm not familiar with it or the food they serve. Oh, Uchi. Uchi is a James Beard Award winning. It's definitely fusion, but Japanese. Tyson Cole, the chef owner, is a very interesting and particular person. But he paved the way with some unique takes on Japanese food that were like, Japanese food is inherently fresh, but a little bit more fusion-y, using like local ingredients, using a lot of fruit in particular. He's a big fan of fruit and fish, which I still do. So was it your experience there that led to you heading to Japan? Not exactly. I'm a huge nerd, and I've been very into Japanese culture and cuisine most of my life. I did work for the Uchi group for about four years in total, and it was very impactful for me. But I went on to do a lot of other things. In 2017, I was actually running an Italian restaurant, and uh, I applied for the Mentor BKB grant, which sends people all over. Is that Thomas Keller's program? A few other people are involved in that. Yeah. Bocuse, Balud, Keller, I think is BKB. Mm -hmm. I won. And so I used the opportunity to go to Japan because that's a place I always wanted to go. And I ended up being there for almost four months, staging at Den and Ryugen. Was there a cash prize and that allowed you to go there? 
So essentially, they just cover the cost okay. of you going there. They cover your housing, your living. It's incredible, and I highly recommend for young cooks to apply. And there's um, a lot of mentorship that comes with that, right? Yes. Like, I remember Gavin Kaysen was really involved, great it's, chef from Minneapolis. It's honestly incredible. They just started again post-pandemic, and I encouraged all of my cooks to apply. And actually, my sous chef at Juniper, the Italian restaurant I was running, he won the year after I won. I'm very proud of him. Japan is at the top of my bucket list. You have to go. I know. It's I know. So fun. Tell us about your experience there. I think... Ivan Orkin wrote in his book that he never felt nostalgia for a place he hadn't been to until Ivan he went of, to Japan. Ivan Raman. Yes, mm -hmm. the very one. And I felt the same way. It just It's not that it was familiar, but it was very comfortable. And the people are so kind and generous. And I think culturally, it was really fun to just be in a place where no one speaks your language. Of course, some people do. But it's not the primary thing. And I think that just really being completely ensconced in that was so fun. What were some of the things you took away culinarily? The biggest thing I took away was hospitality, to be honest. Den is an incredible restaurant and was very impactful on me. But their hospitality game is on another level, you know. Chef Zayu really just cares so much about his guests and thinks about them like they're friends. Their entire business essentially is based on regulars, and they had special plateware for them that no one else would get. They would keep it in a cabinet, and whenever they would come to dine, they have their own bowls, their own chopsticks, their own everything. I just thought it was so thoughtful and like really unique. They never want to serve them the same thing twice. Really cool. You come back. How do you wind up at Olame? So I actually did a dinner with Michael Fotoge in 2018, right after I got back from Japan. I should say Michael is the co-owner and chef. Correct. He invited me to this. Actually, it was all women dinner for South by Southwest and being a local woman chef. It was like very fun. As he tells it, that's when I was on his radar. <laughs> But it, it was a few years after I ended up working at Jester King, and then I worked for the Tatsuya Group here in Austin, working on opening a new concept for them. And that was throughout the pandemic, most of the pandemic. I spent 18 months like working on this concept that still wasn't open, and it didn't really feel like the right fit. And he actually just reached out to me out of the blue and was Great like, timing. Honestly, yeah, thanks, Michael. And we went for coffee, and he was like, hey, would you want to do this? And I was like, maybe. <laughs> and I took it home and sat on it. Uh, Southern food for me was something that I just felt like I didn't want to do or shouldn't do. But I feel like because BLM, frankly, happened, I got a lot more involved in like activism and learning more about my personal history, and it made me more intrigued mm -hmm. to do Southern food. So, yeah. I Expand on that a little bit more. What is your personal history with Southern food? I'm biracial. <laughs> my mom is white. My dad is black. My family on my dad's side, a lot of them are from Louisiana, Shreveport, and New Orleans, and all Creole, Cajun cooking, they would do regularly. 
my mom's side of the family. They mostly are in Arkansas and like Tennessee, but a different kind of Southern. I feel like Texas is interesting in that way where it gets those like weird bylines. <laughs> but yeah, so I grew up eating like gumbo occasionally and like fish fries and delicious things and my mom's mother uh, makes a great like beef stew with potatoes and really interesting kind of comfort food but I think that I just thought it was racist (laughs) to make southern food frankly I had been encouraged various times throughout my career to just go open a restaurant and make fried chicken and that's what people wanted to see kind of thing and I just hate that. Southern food comes with a very complicated history and I should point out the shirt that you're wearing, Black History Matters. Yes, shout out to Black History Bike Ride, great friends of mine and a cause that I'm very much for here in Austin. But yeah, I just felt like I did not want to do that. For me, doing what people expect of you in that way has never been my thing. Mm -hmm. So I felt like if I were to step into that sphere, I would just be becoming what everyone wanted me to be. So I really avoided it for a very long time. And whenever the opportunity came, I just said, I'm going to do it my way. (laughs) It was during the pandemic. So was the restaurant open when you and Michael were talking? No. So Olme was one of the last restaurants to reopen in Austin post-pandemic. Michael did like a whole pivot and turned it into Little Ola's Biscuits, which was like a to-go shop that ended up being now as a brick and mortar up in North Austin. But yeah, at the time, Olame was not open. And we didn't reopen until November of 2021. So you had a little bit of a blank slate. I'm sure you had some regulars who were anxious to come back. But you start with a blank slate. How do you approach the menu? We made a lot of changes to the way the restaurant operated. I like added a grill. Is it a tiny two-foot yakitori grill? Absolutely. But yeah, we added some things. I really wanted to bring that element. I feel like grilling and smoking are inherently Southern and a big part of the cuisine. It was something that was missing from Olme. And also with my Japanese background, I really wanted to introduce that in particular. We added another station on the line. We really expanded what that little kitchen is capable of. And I'm really proud of how it's come along. And your title is Chef de Cuisine, CDC. For those not familiar with the brigade system, what does that mean? That means I am the head honcho, except for when Chef Michael is around. I run the entirety of the kitchen operations, and Chef Michael is my direct boss. He's the executive chef. At this point, he pretty much lets me run and do whatever I would like, which is awesome. I have a lot of autonomy in terms of how I run the restaurant, what I put on the menu, and all those things. And he just kind of spot checks me and gives me good encouragement. (laughs) The word autonomy is very important to you. Yes. I feel like I give my team a lot of autonomy. When I was coming up and cooking, and I think this is a way for a long time You just don't necessarily see people giving autonomy generally. And I always was someone that had a lot of questions. And it wasn't to like, you know, be mean or contrarian to my chefs. I just really wanted to understand things. And I feel like that was not very much encouraged 
when I was coming up. So I really personally need a lot of autonomy to figure things out. And I also give a lot of autonomy so that people can learn. I think that learning is such an interesting and unique thing and it's different for everyone, but people tend to take lessons better when they are in the driver's seat. When did you start to think about yourself as a leader? How has that role evolved for you? That's an interesting question. I want to say by the time I began cooking when I was 22, I felt more like a leader. I had more confidence in who I was or who I was trying to be. So as I continued through my culinary career, I often found myself in leadership positions Even if I didn't have like a title, I was managing people and managing systems. I really like systems. Also, I'm a Capricorn. I think all these things go hand in hand. I think it was kind of from a young-ish age that I became a leader. As I've grown older, I really try to lean into figuring out what makes a good leader, what really helps to support the people that you're leading. Now, Michael chef co-owner, comes from a very serious fine dining background. It seems like he's very intent on running things differently than what he grew up in. Yes, absolutely. And I think that is honestly one of the places where Michael and I like see eye to eye. He has the rigor of very fine dining. And like for Austin, my pedigree is fine dining as well. I think that we both saw an opportunity to try and subvert the concept of what does that mean? Olame is considered a fine dining restaurant and, you know, it's Austin, so people still wear sandals and stuff. But yeah, we just really want to be better than our predecessors, than the history of dining and treating people well is part of that. What is a signature dish of yours? Right now, I'm very much known for our pork chop. I brine it in like this whiskey brine and it's glazed right now with like peach tea, which is like sweet and sticky. And then it's cooked on a Conroe grill, which is Japanese technique and served with succotash, which is definitely Southern. What I really say about my cuisine is that I definitely have a background in Japanese cuisine. That is well known. And it's definitely a farm to table. But as far as flavors... They're everything that I know. I just don't like being put in a box. And so I really want to bring anything that I know to the table. And I think that it creates opportunities to dive in and make things that are more specific to who I am, not necessarily something that other people have done. And you had a duck dish on the menu. I do love duck. Yeah, I'm a big duck fan, and that dish is special to me because it has my grandmother's dressing recipe on it, which dressing for Northerners is also known as stuffing. Yeah, we call it stuffing in my parts. But it's my grandma's recipe, and it's um, kind of unique and honestly the best thing she makes. So it was really fun for me to put on the menu and introduce people to dressing that has hard-boiled eggs in it. I guess we would call it a terrine where we take the duck breast and layer it essentially with a farce in the middle and then another duck breast on top. And the entire thing is pressed and sous vide. And then we portion it and then we render it and it gets cooked multiple times. Yeah, it's just that. Yeah, it's, it's totally chill. Tell <laughs> folks what a farce is. They might know what a farce is, but the farce you're talking about. 
This farce, not the joke, is essentially a sausage of some kind. It's a smooth force meat. This one is made with chicken. We currently have one on the menu that's made with pork that's more boudin-inspired in flavoring. But it is any kind of force meat. It was so much fun to do the dinner with you and the rest of the Olamay team because we came up with this concept for these dinners called Sit With Us. Mm-hmm. We just love the idea of community. Cherry Bomb from day one has been all about our community and the bomb squad. But I always think when it comes to restaurants, not everybody loves to eat by themselves. That's true. So we really wanted to convey this idea of come sit with us, you know, like in high school. If you're new to high school, sit with us. so cute. And of course, you can go sit at a bar by yourself and eat there or sit at a table. Mm -hmm. But you really, in fine dining situations, don't see a lot of solo diners who are not at the bar. So this was an opportunity for anyone who's new to Austin or who just wanted to try Olamay and maybe didn't have friends who were interested Mm -hmm. to come. And I was really happy that a lot of people came by themselves. It was really awesome. Thank you all so much for having me and us and letting us host you. I feel like the energy of the night was just so amazing and everyone was so happy. Like, I don't think I've seen so many happy people in a long time. (laughs) I think my spirit was like uplifted. But yeah, so many solo diners, so many people that hadn't been there. I actually uh, talked to a guest that was from Dallas that just drove in for the dinner. And I was just blown away that one cherry bomb has such a great appeal, but also that She just had a great time and she wanted to be around people of like-minded nature. And I don't know, just to see that in the community, it was really lovely. I have to thank you, too. And, of course, our partners at Open Table who made all this possible. But it's not easy. We did a buyout of the restaurant. And that's not easy for a restaurant to serve everybody at once and figure out the seating. So kind of right back at you. Thank you for letting us do it at your restaurant. Thank you. The team did a great job. I mean, it really felt seamless to me in terms of, like, how fast everything was served. And <sighs> yeah, Thank you. I'm sure it felt a little <laughs> different in the kitchen. but Yeah, we always worry. But then I looked at the clock and I was like, oh, we're doing good. Yeah. <laughs> One of my big takeaways from this time in Austin is how much of a community you all really are. It's a small, big town, right? We're a city and it's big enough, but the culinary community is not massive. We really support each other. And I think that is one of the best things about Austin. Whenever I go to other cities, you just don't necessarily see that kind of community. We're incredibly tight knit and like really respectful of each other and just supportive of what we're up to, right? We're trying to raise the city, be the best culinary destination that we can be, but supporting each other is part of that too. Whether it's going and dining or doing events together, just collaborating with each other and discussing like cuisine. And I don't know. It's just, it honestly is the thing that's kept me here is the community. Let's nerd out for a few minutes. You mentioned (laughs) you are a gamer. It started when I was quite young. I had a Nintendo and my mom and my dad used to play Dr. Mario all the time. You remember that one? It's like Tetris, but with pills. Very strange. (laughs) But yeah, I have played video games my entire life. I play card games. I was particularly involved in uh, rhythm games. Dance Revolution was the kind of thing that 
sent me into the gaming sphere more. What's a rhythm game? I don't know what that is. They're basically games that are music focused. Dance Dance Revolution is a game with arrows on the ground and you step on them and rhythm. Oh, I've seen those in yes. arcades. Yeah. Yes. I used to compete playing that game. These days I'm really into Magic the Gathering and I have a whole group of people. Some, A lot of them work at Olamay actually. Okay, Magic the Gathering. What is that? It is a collectible card game and it's very competitive, but it's fantasy based. How do you explain this? You basically like build a deck that does spells and things of certain colors. And it's it's like chess, but way harder and incredibly personalized. Harder than chess. Damn. It's incredibly complex. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But very fun. So I'm super into that. I also play Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, yeah. Talk to us about the chicken pop-up. Oh, uh, yeah. So I have a pop-up called the Fiery Talon, and it is a cult. The Cult of Chicken, in fact. It is based on my D&D game, which my best friend, also a Capricorn, Daniel, he is our dungeon master. And in the world that we play in, there is a cult that actually popped up these chicken shops and it's in game. And we thought it would be really funny to bring it into reality. So during 2020, we had the opportunity to do so and it's been incredibly successful, but it is weird. <laughs> and it is fried chicken, it despite what you said chicken. earlier. It so is. I guess if you you were going to do fried chicken, at least it was through the lens of gaming. Yes, that's true. Yeah. I also laughed like, am I going to make fried chicken right now? It's very much like I did it my way. It's more katsu style. It's not Southern per se, but it's still brined and like a Nashville hot chicken way, but it has Szechuan flavors. Are we going to see another one of those pop-ups, or was that a pandemic thing? Oh, yeah. I have full intention of bringing it back. We actually have one scheduled in August, right down the street from here at Better Half. So for anyone that is interested, please come out. We will be doing some fundraising for a friend of mine that recently passed and his family. Should be a good time, but plenty of very hot chicken. It's August 21st, a better half, and we're part of the summer fun friends gathering there. And I think we're the last one of the summer. So if you're available, I believe it's a Monday, please come check us out and there will be cultists. Let's talk Pokemon for a sec. <laughs> you do, I was told, start every shift with the Pokemon theme song. This is accurate and it is really nice, honestly. I used to kind of troll people by playing the Pokemon soundtrack because it's something I personally love very much and just have nostalgia for. It just kind of grabbed me whenever we were reopening Olame. It's a power hour of sorts. So from four o'clock basically until right around five before we open, I just play bangers really loud. Everyone sings, everyone dances. And it's like hustle and like, let's get ready for service, but also let's have some fun. The Pokemon theme song just got slotted in at some point and it was really moving. The lyrics spoke to me and I was like, is this song about me? Is this song about us? And it just has become a tradition. And I think I'm going to carry it for a long time, even if I am no longer at Olamay at some point. I think that this is the way. 
for those of you who are like, what the heck is Amanda talking about? <laughs> what is the song they should look up on Spotify or Apple Music? It is called Pokemon Theme. The first lyrics are, I want to be the very best like no one ever was. And it is sung by actually a Michael Jackson backup singer who very much sounds like him. Yeah, it sounds like a 1995 Michael Jackson song, but for children. Okay, there we go. <laughs> you have your assignment, folks. Are there folks who have really successfully blended the world of food and the world of gaming? Candy Crush, which I've never played, comes to mind. But mm -hmm. it seems to me like a world yet to be conquered. Yeah, I think that there's definitely some like food games that are very fun. And there's one on the Switch called Overcooked that if you've never played, and especially if you're in the restaurant industry, I highly recommend. But it's very fun. It's very silly. I do think, though, as far as like gaming and real world food, it has been done. But I don't think it's been done well yet. Are you going to be the one to do it well for us one I day? would love to. It's definitely on my agenda to open like a gaming shop that's possibly serves, I don't know, fiery talon fried chicken and has cultists in it, maybe some coffee, but do it in a way that is a little bit more chic or savvy. So you're looking to elevate it slightly. Exactly. Okay. More than slightly. <laughs> Significantly. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Let's jump to the speed round. Okay. One of your favorite books on food or cookbooks? Bar Tartine, I would say. Great restaurant, but that book is incredibly informative and inspiring. Sometimes if I'm just like, I don't know what I should make, I'll just open it up and get inspired again. And I've owned it for years and that restaurant doesn't exist anymore, but it's a great book. A favorite kitchen tool? Gotta be a spoon. They're <laughs> so useful. One thing that's always in your fridge at home? Kimchi. I ate a lot of kimchi. Do you make your own? I have made my own in the past. Currently, no. I don't really have time. But I do love to make it. And also, I always have spam. So much spam. Favorite childhood food? Ramen. Snack food of choice today? Popcorn, I would say. I love popcorn. I'll eat a whole bowl. Do you make it yourself? Yeah. I'm a big fan. I mean, it's so easy to make. Yeah. Just throw it in a pot. Yeah. And you can actually put butter on it and not that weird stuff that comes in the bag. Any other toppings? For a cake. Footwear of choice in the kitchen. Dance goes. Any motto or mantra that gets you through the day? I want to be the very best like no one ever was. If you had to be trapped on a desert island with one food celebrity, who would it be and why? I did think about this. And in my heart, I want to say Anthony Bourdain. And I feel like I literally have not been able to watch him in media since he passed. And he was incredibly impactful on me. And I think the entire generation of cooks that I came from, he's just special. Reading Kitchen Confidential and watching all of his shows, and I started watching him from the beginning, I think that he just inspired me. And so sad that he's gone. Also, his birthday was recently. I just think that he is very special and would love to spend some time with him. Amanda, thank you so much. It's been so nice getting to know you. Thank you. And what an honor to eat your food. And I can't wait to come back to Olamay and hang out with you. Oh, yeah. We can't wait to have you back. Thank you all so much. It was very fun. That's it for today's show. Want to stay on top of all things Cherry Bomb? Of course you do. Sign up for our free newsletter at cherrybomb.com. Learn about the week's podcast guests, upcoming events, and 
fun news from the world of restaurants, cookbooks, cake artistry, and more. Our theme song is by the band Tra La La. Our producer is Catherine Baker. Our associate producer is Jenna Sadu. And our editorial assistant is London Crenshaw. Thanks for listening, everybody. You're the bomb.